So we, uh, last week we looked at Nehemiah chapter 1, and uh, we really, the heart of it was pull, pulling out some examples of Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah, he, he had a breakdown. He had some things that kind of got his heart's attention, brought him to a standstill. And, and so after that, he, he began to pray. We talked about the points from, from last week, just a quick review, where Nehemiah, he prayed seriously. He began to fast and pray. He went without food, and he was praying very earnestly. And, and he also, um, he prayed righteously. He confessed sin in his life, and he prayed with faith, and talked about that's just something if we want to have God respond to our prayers with miraculous breakthroughs, we need to make sure there's no unfinished business with him and, and keep, uh, keep our, uh, you know, that channel clear and, and connected with him. And then the other thing that Nehemiah did was that he prayed specifically. And he got specific about some of the things that he prayed about. And so, you know, um, this morning we're going to really kind of cha- transition a little bit from Nehemiah's prayers into, um, into God's responses. And we're going to look at some things we can learn about God and how God responds to another man, another person, just like you and I, and how he's still willing to respond to us with things like that. And so um, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2. And really I'm just going to read the first half and share some thoughts on that. And then we'll read the second half and um, kind of call it a morning here. So uh, if you have a, a Bible, I think we have our house Bibles out in the trailer. Um, we, might, we might get those two if you need one. We can probably get you one as well. Um, otherwise, if you have an electronic Bible, great. Or, uh-huh, or one on the screen here. Let me see, is my screen not working? I'll go ahead and uh, read this, and, and you can just listen in. If you, if, again, if you want to follow along in, in your own Bible, that's great. If you're on your phone using an electronic Bible, that's good. If you're on Facebook while I'm talking, that's not good. Um, so unless you're posting something about the church, that's fine. Uh, just tag me in it or, or whatever. So uh, anyways, I'm gonna, I'll start off here. Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence before this time, so the king asked me, Why are you so sad? You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. Then I was badly frightened. But I replied, Long live the king. Why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been burned down. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please your majesty, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, Well, how long will you be gone? When, When will you return? So the king agreed, and I set a date for my departure. I also said to the king, If it Please, your majesty, give me letters to the governor of the province of west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please send a letter to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So we're going to stop right there and just kind of remember the context of what's going on here, and then we're going to pull out some, some points. But um, 
Last time we had talked about how Nehemiah heard a report back from Jerusalem and how he, he had heard that several attempts had been made to restore the city of Jerusalem, one by most recently by Ezra, which was about 12 years before he got this report, and um, there was another attempt before that as well by Zerubbabel. But Nehemiah had heard that the city was still a wreck. It was still in rubble. It was still a shame, a disgrace, and, and it broke his heart, and he began to pray, and uh, we ended it with this, this prayer that he prayed specifically for, for the king's favor. And, um, and then it transitions to chapter 2. And one of the things I just want to draw your attention to here that's kind of interesting is that chapter 1 and chapter 2, it seems like it flows real fluidly. You know, it says he prayed this to be bold with the king, to have favor with the king. It finishes with the verse, in those days I was the king's cupbearer. And then it goes into chapter 2 and and it says early the following spring. And, and what struck me for the first time reading Nehemiah, I've read it a number of times, but what struck me is there is a, a pause between Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2. And, you know, uh, based on the Jewish calendar, they list the months that these things happen in, but it was roughly four months after Nehemiah prayed, chapter 2 began. And so chapter 1, he prayed seriously. He prayed righteously. He prayed specifically. But nothing happened until four months later when we get to chapter 2. And, and really, that's one of the things we want to draw, draw out here, just highlight again from Nehemiah's character. But um, Nehemiah prayed patiently. Four months. You think this is godly man, and he's fasting, and he's praying. He gets instant answers to prayer. Four months later, there's movement in this plan that Nehemiah was hoping for. And, and I think it's just a, maybe a lesson to each of us that sometimes we want a fast turnaround. We want breakthroughs to happen overnight. We live in a pop culture where things are moving so fast. And, um, but Nehemiah, this man of God, had to wait over four months for God to begin to respond to his prayers. And, and so, uh, you know, just a few facets of that. One of the things I think about is that Nehemiah was a, I don't know what personality type you have, you know, there's the type A driven, there's the type B, C's, whatever they are, but between my wife and I, we are the two opposite types, I think. She is like a, a driven, like she has a to-do list that she is checking off. She's not checking something off, she's not happy. And if uh, uh, I'm a lot more on the other side, you know, a list, you know, why, why have a list? Let's just, you know, what's next? Let's just go tackle it and, and who am I going with? I'm having fun with the people I'm with. And she's just very efficient getting things done, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and there's pros and cons to each of those. But the, the impression I get from Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a type A go-getter. He was like, all right, I'm gonna, I got a list. I'm going to hash it out here. This got to be done. This got to be done. And he was a real go-getter. And, and yet the challenge that God has sometimes for go-getters is that he might make you wait. You know, Nehemiah could have just said, I, I know what what's got to happen here and let's just go get her done and and he began praying and he was very serious and you know God's obviously back in his righteous to-do list and he has to wait over four months that was a man of patience Nehemiah prayed patiently and how's your patience going are, are you on a plan are you a go-getter you're gonna make it happen whether God agrees or not whether God's in on your plan or not you've got a plan for him and he can decide uh, or on the other side, if you're more laid, bla laid back, you might realize, uh, you know, uh, you probably need to get a plan. You probably need to 
pray about something specific, you know, not just to have another glorious day with all your friends having fun. Um, but but he, he waited patiently. He waited for not only God's will, but God's timing. Sometimes we think we know something that God wants to do, and it's even harder to wait on his timing. And yet Nehemiah did, and it's a great example to us here. Another thing we want to talk about, just a, Nehemiah's example, before we look at then how God responded to him, is um, I love this verse here, you know. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. You know, there's a couple interesting things about that, but one of the things is, it's, this is a point we'll throw in for free, you don't even have to write it down, but uh, the cupbearer was a very uh, important job. You know, the, the cupbearer had to be someone that this king of the world empire at the time um, has to trust that whatever you're putting in this cup is, is going to be okay to drink. Because if you want to take the king out, the way to do it is put a little something, something in his wine, and, and he's gone. And, and it's the next, you know, the next empire begins, the next person in line. It was a very trusted position. And, and not only that, was it generally a, a person you had to trust, but Artaxerxes' father was killed because someone in his inner circle did something just like that and, and assassinated him. And so here's Nehemiah, this foreigner from another land, and somehow he has worked his way up the ladder, gotten favor with the king of the world ruling empire, the Persian empire at the time, and he's serving wine to the king. And, and not only that, he had to test the wine, you know, so that's uh, uh, not a bad job either, depending on whether or not you like wine, but one of the things they had you do is you're responsible for the kitchen. You're responsible for this, the food coming and going. And if someone sabotages it, well, before you give it to the king, you get to try it. You know, if someone's done something, you die first, and he realizes, I probably shouldn't drink that. You know, you get to be the real human canary for the king. And, um, but anyways, Nehemiah was trusted. He, he was a person of another country, of another god, and yet God had given him favor. And he was faithful. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. I think it had to do with the fact that he depended on God. And... Um, but the point being here is that Nehemiah was working for this king, and, and the king says this to him. Um, you know, this verse here, I, I had never before, you can underline this, circle this on, on your handout, but I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? Don't look, uh, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. But can you just imagine this guy? He's a real go-getter. He's got a plan. He's got a burden. The city where his ancestors are buried, his hometown, the glory of the world at one time was Jerusalem, and it's destroyed. It's in shambles, and he's got a burden to go back and build it, and yet he just cannot go. He works for the king. king kind of wants to keep him around a little bit, and, and yet he worked cheerfully. He waited patiently. He prayed patiently, but he, he waited cheerfully. He, waited, he worked cheerfully. I don't know about you. If you have something you really, really want and you don't get it, does that make you cheerful, bubbly inside? Now, usually it can be a little annoying. It can be a little frustrating, right? But he said of Nehemiah, you know what? I've never seen you discouraged in my presence. I've never seen you not cheerful in my presence. And what's going on? And so I, you know, one of the questions I would have, um, it was rare that he was downcast. It was rare that he was sad in the presence of his boss, if you will. I want to translate that to modern days. But... How about you? Is it rare that you're downcast in the presence of others, in the presence of 
your boss? Or would it be more rare that go like, wow, you're smiling today. What's going on in your world? Wow, you must have become a Christian or something. I don't know. Um, but it was rare that he was not filled with joy. And it wasn't that the circumstances were joyful. I mean, his, his people were in exile. His city was destroyed. He's serving. I mean, he's got a good situation, all things considered. But that his circumstances weren't what was bringing him joy. And so um, just something to think about here. Um, he didn't just appear. You know, it was at the time, uh, in, in the presence of a king like this, you kind of were supposed to be cheerful. You know, it's like the king's thinking, the whole world is my empire. You're a part of it. You're in my presence. You ought to be happy. And so it was kind of required that you were happy and cheerful in the king's presence. But I don't think Nehemiah was cheerful or, or joyful just because he had to. Later on in, in the book of Nehemiah, we'll see chapter 8. At one point, people are sad as they're back in Jerusalem, and they're realizing how short they've fallen of God's will for them. And, and they're weeping. And Jer Jer um, Nehemiah says, uh, it's not a day to grieve. The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and Nehemiah had a joy that came from his relationship with God. And it's just something to, there's a verse there, Nehemiah 8, 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I just got a question for you. How's your joy been lately? You know, I often think of joy as like the, the oil of the Christian life. And whenever in a vehicle you have the check engine light comes on or something related to oil, you usually got to take care of that. And, and if you don't, well, you can keep going for a while on low oil. But eventually, the car breaks down. I'm not a car expert. We have a few in the bunch here. But, um, but it's good to ask yourself, how are you doing with joy? Because if you're running low on joy, you're just probably not too far from things breaking down, coming to a halt, not necessarily because God's got something he's trying to get your attention on, but because you've just been running on low low fumes, low oil. But as Christians, you know, I think we, we have more reason to be joyful than anyone else on the planet. If you understand that Jesus came into this world and he took your sins and mine on his cross, and in exchange he's given us his righteousness, <clears throat> and we just connect with that by believing he did that for us, and then he says, by the way, ask anything and, and I'll do it for you. Ask, it'll be given to you. We have, we have more reason for joy than anyone else on the planet. And yet sometimes I think if we were to smile in our workplaces or other places, people might wonder if something happened to us like we became a Christian again or, or actually have joy from being a Christian. A couple proverbs I like on this. Uh, these are ones that we, we use around the house a lot. But one of them is uh, this Proverbs 1530 just says, A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Crushed. Uh, uh, Good news gives health to the bones. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. You know, when I've been knocking on doors in the neighborhood here recently, and I've got uh, just about 3,000 uh, so far. But one of the verses I think about when I go to every door is, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. You know, if I come to this door and just bring a cheerful look, it's an overflow of my heart, my life, um, it says it could bring joy to someone else's heart. Another verse goes on to say that... Um, a cheerful heart is good medicine. We have this little thing we do around our house with the kids where we, um, you know, we used to do this thing where we'd give hugs daily because we saw something on the news that hugs are good for your health. So we'd do hugs, and then we added all the little, and a pinch to grow an inch, and a punch to grow a bunch, and a, uh, you know, a sock to grow a lot. Of, and, but eventually we had a smile to grow a mile. 
And, and so I'd do this whole thing with the kids and, you know, get down to the last thing, a smile to Guru a mile. And, and then, uh, especially my youngest, now Garrison, six years old, but, but he, would, he would say, medicine, and he would just smile. And he just, we'd go through the whole thing at the very end, medicine. And if you know Garrison, his smile is contagious. And next thing you know, you got joy bubbling in your heart because he gave you a smile. But how's your joy going? Do you have joy in your heart that, that brings joy to others? Because as Christians, we, we have everything we need for that joy. We can say it is well with my soul because it is well with my Lord. And I've gotten right with him. I've put my trust in everything he did on the cross for me. And, and we can smile. And, and maybe you feel joyful in your heart and you just got to pass the memo onto your cheeks and go, you know what? It is well with my soul, and it's okay to smile. And as Christians, one of the things you'll learn about us as the Firehouse Church, for, for any who are new with us, is we, we take God's Word seriously, and we like to have a lot of fun, too. You know, we, we do things that sometimes I think, I was brought up in a church that was very traditional, and I think they took God's Word seriously, but it sure wasn't any fun. If you look like you're having fun, you kind of were afraid God was going to see it and come down and squash it, you know, because <clears throat> you're not supposed to have fun. You're spiritual. But we're a church that likes to have a lot of fun. And um, I remember once we were teaching on this uh, back at our Highlands location, and one of my <coughs> co-pastors up there, we said, you know, we, we just like to have fun. And I thought, hey, Greg, let's have a little fun during the service here. And we had this stage with this long carpet roll. And I said, what if you and I did the two-man roll across the stage just for fun? Have you guys ever done the two-man roll? It is like where, you know, someone lays down and you grab their feet and they grab yours and you dive forward and it pulls them up and you just start rolling. It's super fun. If you haven't tried it, go home and try that. <coughs> Teens, get permission from your parents. But two-man roll. So we did that across the stage and people were like, wow, you know, and then we got back to teaching the word. But we, we have fun. It's okay to have fun. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we're the, like, somber, oh, i got to go to church again, you know, whap ourselves with a leather strap. And um, nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do that. But we need it. the joy of the Lord is to be our strength, guys. And I hope you have it. And if you don't, figure out what's plugging up your, your heart from having that joy. And maybe it's this whole topic. You might need a breakthrough so that you can have the joy of the Lord that he wants you to have. But anyways, Nehemiah seemed to have that. And he seemed to pass it. I think the king probably liked him. My guess is that Nehemiah brought joy to the king. And I think the king was like, hey, I know I already had wine, but why don't you come back and let's talk a little. Tell me the latest joke, you know, latest joke about Persians or whatever. Uh, talk about the kingdom here. Um, but anyways, that, that's just another great example by Nehemiah. He, he was patient, he was trustworthy, and, and he was joyful, even while waiting four months for the prayer that he was hoping to get answered here. So um, we're going to turn the corner here again from uh, from things that Nehemiah did into God's response. In some ways, if I could summarize chapter 1 with two words, it would be Nehemiah prayed. And if I could summarize chapter 2 with two words, it would be God answered. And we're going to look at some of God's answers here real quick. And I know you have a few blanks to fill out, but we are going to move faster than some of these other points. But I felt like the Lord put it on my heart. We need to make sure we're joyful. We're, we're cheerful in what we're going about because if, if we can't be cheerful knowing what we know, we've got no business telling anyone else about it. And, and yet we've been called to tell everyone else about it. So there, there's a big deal here with God. But um, anyways, let's look at this next, uh, this next verse here. But, you know, it says... Um, uh, 
You know, the king asked, why? Why are you looking so sad today? You don't look sick to me. It must be, you must be deeply troubled. The one translation says, this can only be sadness of heart. And, uh, but in that, in that moment, God gave Nehemiah an opportunity. God gave Nehemiah opportunity. And um, when we're looking for breakthroughs in our lives, one of the things we need to be praying for and asking for, Nehemiah chapter 1, he was asking for opportunity here, but, but God gave him one. And it was somehow, I don't know what happened that day. Maybe Nehemiah was like, I'm trying to get my heart right. I'm trying to have a good attitude about all this. And it just didn't happen. And the king's like, dude, Nehemiah, you're bummed out. What's going on here? In, in some, some cases, if you notice something fishy about your cupbearer, it meant that maybe something's up there. Maybe this is the day the cupbearer is going to try to take me out. And so as a king, you kind of want to make sure, hey, his countenance is down. What's going on? But he knew Nehemiah. He knew he wasn't sick. And he said, Nehemiah, what's on your heart? And this was the opportunity that he had waited a number of months for, and God gave it to him. And so when it comes to breakthroughs, we need to be praying for opportunities. We need to be looking for opportunities. One story I just wanted to share with you about opportunity is, is back in the Highlands neighborhood of, of Denver. When we first were getting started, we had bounced around. At, we were a small church, and we moved around a number of times in a number of years. And... You might say, you're still a small church. We are a small church, but we've sent teams out to start other churches along the way. But at one point, we were like, boy, it'd sure be nice to have a building. And this, if you know the Highlands neighborhood at all, um, this is 33rd and Tejon. Um, you would not recognize this building. But this was our opportunity, a really beautiful lime green building. You know, we weren't going to have to paint or do anything, but we, were, we thought maybe we could rent this building for church. And, and we talked to the landlord, and he was... Uh, a Christian and a business guy, and so we ended up uh, trying to work out a deal with him about this opportunity. Um, I remember the first time we took a team of our leadership team into this building that the landlord gave us a key to go look around. We took our, our group in, 15 people, and, and we're like, you know, I said, guys, this is, this is going to be probably where we meet next. What an opportunity. And people were just kind of looking at me, and I remember one of our deacons just looked at me and started laughing. And, and I was like, you're not supposed to laugh. You're a leader guy, buddy. Come on. We gotta, the morale's got to be good here. But, uh, you know, God had a sense of justice. That deacon guy was also an architect. He's also now uh, a pastor full-time at that location. But God had a plan for our deacon who was laughing to design the entire project here. And he had had experience in his graduate work with um, doing, bringing volunteers to bear on construction projects to keep the cost down, which again was a great fit for us. But, but anyways, you know, God led us into this opportunity that eventually became uh, a place that up there in the Highlands that, that looks amazing and it fits right in. This, we really think it was one of the first dominoes that fell in that neighborhood. It was kind of scary around there and there was things, you know, my friend who lived in the neighborhood for a while, he said, you know, back in the days, you used to see, you know, dogs and people running down the alleys. He's like, but it was, it was, people were running from the dogs. They weren't running with the dogs. They were running away from the dogs who were chasing them down the alleys, packs of dogs and stuff. But um, now it's, it's been turned around. It's this very hipster neighbor, neighborhood. But God allowed our church to be hipster before it was even a thing, you know. Um, but, but anyways, it, was, it all had to do with this opportunity, this rundown warehouse, and God put us there. And the guy, we just told him, hey, we're paying rent. Here's what we can pay you. He said, sounds like we can make a deal here. And we saw the building, and we're like, we're out of it, no, no deal. Um, but no, we, we ended up going through there. But again, uh, just you might be looking for a breakthrough. 
but you might realize that as with Nehemiah, opportunity might be something that maybe you aren't thinking about, but that God wants to bring into your world an opportunity that will change. Once we moved into that building, um, I know the church at the time was maybe 70 people or something, but once we renovated it and opened the doors for our first service, it more than doubled in size. I think we had uh, maybe 200. It was our first Easter service there. And it was just like God just walked us in and then just said, and by the way, you know, boom. And over the course of time, we sent a team out to start another church out in Manhattan, Kansas, with the, the campus out there, Kansas State. And then another team from our church we sent out to Stillwater, Oklahoma, to start a church there. And we like to often be where there's a, a campus around to to have church together and also to connect with college students who are making some of these choices for the first time. But that was our opportunity, and it was like this watershed moment that God walked us in. And um, Just keep your eyes out for an opportunity. God gave Nehemiah an opportunity here. We need to be seeking him for strategic opportunities as well as a church, but also personally in any breakthroughs you're hoping for. But he gave an opportunity, I think, because he asked for it, and we need to be doing the same. Next thing we want to talk about here is... Um, this, this verse where Nehemiah just says, um, and then the king asked him, you know, what's going on here? Um, and it says, then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? And he just goes on to share his heart of what, what's on his heart. But it says he was terrified. And yet in the middle of being terrified, um, God gave him courage courage to face and overcome his fears. If you're going to get a breakthrough in your life, you're probably going to have some fears that you need to face, things you're going to have to overcome, whether it's financially and go, there's no way I could do that with my budget, or relationally, there's no way I even want to bring that up to make things right, or whatever it is, there's probably fears you're going to have to overcome, and Nehemiah overcame some of the fears, but one of the things that, that I like about that is... Um, Nehemiah had been praying for a while, but it was kind of like the king's like, all right, Nehemiah, let me have your pitch. What's on your heart? And, and Nehemiah's like shaking, going, oh, this is, this is what I've been waiting for, and this is what I hope never happened. You know, I have to tell the king what's on my heart. And, um, and I love the phrase there that says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. Nehemiah prayed. He prayed for months. He prayed seriously, all that, but he also prayed in the moment. In the moment of need, some would call this, I think theologically sometimes they call this instant prayer. Nehemiah was going into this situation and all of a sudden it was like, he just fired off this prayer, Lord help me now, here we go. And, and he walked into it and he walked into it with great boldness if you see his requests and stuff here. But um, God gave Nehemiah courage and uh, he can give you and I courage as well. You know, just a, a couple thoughts on Courage is, uh, is faith in action, is one definition I've heard. We've got our faith, and when you put it into action, it's courage. Another one, you might have heard this quote, that um, courage is not the absence of fear, but uh, taking action in spite of fear. Courage is not just, I don't have any fear, I'm courageous. I've got fear, and I'm taking action in spite of it. Uh, another one I like uh, uh, from a general in the Civil War, Stonewall Jackson, said this. He just simply said, never take counsel of your fears. And there's so many different verses on, on this. One that I put up there that you can write down the reference to, Psalm 138.3. It just says, as soon, uh, it says, as soon as I pray, you answer me by giving me, by, you encourage me by giving me strength. David says this at one point. He's like, in this case, as soon as I pray, you'd answer me. It was just right there when I needed it. Some prayers take four months and take 
fasting and other things. But in this case, he just prayed in the instant, and, and God gave him what he needed. And so remember, you're going to have to overcome your fears here if you're going to get a breakthrough in an area, and, and Nehemiah did. Um, there's so many promises God gives us on, on overcoming fears. One of my favorites, Psalm 34, 4, says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I love taking my fears into prayer. Fears, I, I can be anxious a lot, and, and yet it makes a great, uh, a great fuel, something that fuels my prayers. Like, there's a fear, there's an anxiety. Lord, could you deliver me from this fear like you have all the other ones I brought to you before? I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Um, the next thing we're going to look at here is just that, um, you know, it says, well, well, how can I help you? You know, if you've got something you want to break through in, um, and the key person related to that asks you, okay, tell me what I can do for you. Takes out his checkbook or something, and um, what would you say? Do you have a plan? Do you want a breakthrough? Do you have a plan? Because if you don't, you know, Nehemiah could have said, ah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. I just, uh, I'm just glad to be here with you. And, and he had a plan that he had thought through. It was, it was thorough. It was well thought out. Um, just a few things. God gave Nehemiah a plan. In four months of waiting and praying, God gave him a plan. Later on, he says, you know, about the plan God put on his heart. Um, but if you're waiting and you're praying, you might be putting together a plan, a plan with wisdom. You know, there's a couple verses on this. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If you need some wisdom for a plan, ask God for it. He promises it. Another one says, With pride comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You know, sometimes uh, when seeking wisdom and stuff, there's a humility to, to ask for advice. Um, there's another proverb that says, Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. You're making plans, especially big plans, or you want breakthrough plans, make sure you're asking God for it. Make sure you're uh, going about it humbly and asking advice of others. And put your plan together with advice. Uh, another thing here, you know, oops, his, his plan was with humility. One of the things you see here is that he, when Nehemiah asked, he's saying, he's saying uh, hey, here, Artaxerxes, uh, this is on my heart. I really want to do this. But... He submitted his plan to the king. He says, um, if you're willing, would you send me? I'm your servant. Would you send me? Sometimes we have a plan and we go, look, i got a plan one way or another. I'm just looking for a few, few people to approve my plan. And if you don't approve it, let's just pretend like I never talked to you. But, um, you know, there's a proverb that says there's a way that seems right to a man that ends in death. Sometimes we're just looking for people to approve what we really want to do, our plan. But Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah said, I got a plan. It's on my heart. I think God's backing it. And I'm going to subject it to my boss, to the king. And, you know, I don't know what would have happened if the, the king would have said, sorry, uh, you're going to have to wait a couple of years for that. It's not what happened, but it takes humility to submit your plans to other. And God honors, God gives grace to humility, as we see there and, and throughout Scripture. It was really a thorough, thought-out plan. He's like, by the way, I'm going to need this. And I'm going to need lumber, and I'm going to need a company car, and I'm going to need a house, and I'm going to need... And he just had a list, and he just went through, he had thought about it. He put some thought into his plan, and you and I, if we want a breakthrough, are going to probably need to be thinking through a plan as, as we're patiently waiting for the Lord to answer. Uh, next thing here, just talk about uh, the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on, was on me. God granted, God gave Nehemiah favor. 
Just one thing I want to draw out about this is chapter 1 in Nehemiah's prayer, he didn't pray a lot. He, he had just like this little couple sentences in his prayer. But one of the things he asked for was favor with the king. And that favor with the king led to uh, almost all of the provision for his plan. He, he, he was given things financially. He was given materials. He was given protection. He was given permission. He was given everything. But it all led to from one prayer. God, give me favor with this key person here. And, and sometimes we can pray through everything, which is good to pray through everything. But you might just think about, hey, in this breakthrough, who do I need to ask God to give me favor with specifically? Who, who's going to be a key part of this? Um, and, and then, uh, you know, then see what happens with this. So much flowed from that. I think about some sayings. You might have heard some of these before. You know, when it's God's provision, um, he'll bring the, uh, it's God's vision, God will bring the provision. You know, a little jingle there. The other one, where God guides, he also provides. Over the years, I've come up with my own. It's a lesser known uh, proverb here, but uh, if it's in God's will, he'll pick up the bill. You know, um, this, but if it's God's plan, he's going to take care of it. And that's throughout scriptures. And so um, uh, God's the one that gave Nehemiah the plan, the vision, and he's the one that brought about favor for the provision. But um, this is something we've got to pray about, praying for favor. I know with that church building I showed you there and, the, and kind of the turnaround that God gave us, one, he gave us favor with the owner. And the owner, we ended up working out a deal where he said, hey, look, this building needs work. How about this? How about we don't pay any rent at all for the first five years, and we'll just pay a construction loan? And he thought, sure, sounds good to me. And we're like, good, no rent, uh, pay the construction loan. And then after that, you know, we worked out a, another deal about just paying rent, and the rate that he, we set a, a rate very early in the contract. And years later, as, as the neighborhood's value started skyrocketing, our landlord was like, what did I do? I can't believe I set that rate for these guys. And because he was a Christian, he, he honored his contract. But um, God gave us favor with the owner of this building. Another thing that he did, he gave us other, you know, as part of the plan, we had a plan. We said, hey, first we're going to have to figure out um, if this guy's even going to sign with us. And then we're going to have to figure out how to finance it. We had some people bring some bids to the church on it's going to cost you. We had one company, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the company, Franz and Pittman. It's this uh, crazy company here in town. That, uh, but you know, they're, they're, a lot of the guys work with them. Good company, but they just came in with a real honest quote and said, it's probably going to be $450,000 for you to renovate this. And we got two other bids. One was higher than that. One was lower. But we didn't have $450,000. And so we, we had a plan. Lord, you're going to have to provide someone to finance us, which is likely not any banks here in the United States of America. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You're going to have to have someone to finance us. We're going to have to have a, a general contractor who will do the work that's required to be licensed and let us bring volunteers. And we just had a plan. And we just like, Lord, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to do this. And we signed the contract. We got a guy with a loan. Uh, no banks would let us, but there was a, a Christian who we knew from another church who just said, hey, I hear what you're trying to do here. I would love to front you almost $200,000 here with no interest for five years if you guys are up for it. And we were like, we're up for it. Let's do this. And so um, we signed on to an interest-free loan. We got another contractor that said, hey, look, we'll do all this stuff that's required to be licensed and do permits and stuff with the city, and we'll let you do volunteers on the rest. And, and we signed up. By the time we were done and we collected how much it cost in labor and parts, and it was about $450,000. The, the guy was pretty accurate in his estimate, but we just didn't have the money. But we had a plan, and God gave us favor with people to help bring about that plan. And 
we, we've, we saw an amazing breakthrough there. But I just want to encourage you. Ask God for a plan. Ask God for favor. And watch out what he might do after that. We need to ask him for that. Um, last thing, we're just going to, this is just setting the table for next week here. God gave Nehemiah a team. You know, it goes on and Nehemiah shares, uh, I'm just going to read some of this. We're going to talk about this point next week and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. But uh, I'm just going to read a couple verses from the second half of the chapter here. Three days after my arrival at Jerusalem, the king gives him everything he needs. He sends him on his way. Three days after my arrival at Jerusalem, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding on. I went out through the valley gate and past the jackal's well and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went out to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the religious and political leaders, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. And now I said to them, You know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins. Its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. And then I told them how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, Good, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. You know, Nehemiah shared everything that God had done with the plan and with the favor. And one of the other things that I know Nehemiah was praying for was a team. God, show me the people who you'd have me labor with to carry out this vision. And, and we're going to talk more about some lessons related to that next week. But, um, you know, um, I'm just going to close with this idea here that Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah was a part of God's people, and, and he was from his homeland, was back in Judah and Jerusalem, and yet he, he was here with this Persian kingdom. He, he had a, a good job for being in exile, working for the king was a position of influence. It was probably a position of affluence. It was a trusted position. Um, but somehow he had it on his heart to leave the kingdom and all the good food and the good wine and whatever behind and go into the brokenness, which was Jerusalem. Go back and check it out. It doesn't say here specifically, but my guess is when Nehemiah went home, went to the city, and he toured the brokenness, the, the rubble that night with a few close friends, I would guess he was in tears. I would guess he was weeping. And all that he had heard was real. It was a mess. It was a shame. It was an embarrassment. And I bet you he was weeping. And, and we don't know that for sure. It doesn't say that. But one of the things we do know is that Nehemiah, his example in his life was a, was a foreshadowing. It was a type, a, a picture of the Christ who was to come. And some of the facets of that that are, you know, this, I love this verse here. I just read this. this if you read the one-year Bible, you might have read this in Isaiah this week. But it says this. It says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins um, and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You know, I just wrote in my margin there, Nehemiah went back and he was a repairer of broken walls. But this passage was not talking about Nehemiah. It was talking about the Christ who was to come and be the repairer of broken walls. And there's some similarities between Nehemiah and the Christ. Uh, 
Nehemiah was a foreshadowing of the Christ. That's your blank there. I think it's a little bit of a sentence. It was a foreshadowing of the Christ. Nehemiah left the comforts and the good life that he had at the palace to go into this brokenness. Nehemiah did a lot of it at great cost to himself. There were things that Nehemiah financed about this whole thing out of his own pocket. Nehemiah was motivated by love and compassion of God's people. Each one of these you just see is a facet of Jesus infinitely more. He left the comforts of heaven. Heaven had no brokenness, no sin, and he came into this broken world. He came at great cost to himself. He came into this world leaving all that he had behind only to, to give all that he had even down to the last drop of his blood on the cross. And he was motivated by love. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And, and Nehemiah was just a glimpse of Christ who was to come. And Nehemiah, we don't know if he cried when he came into Jerusalem, but this is something we do know. On that week, on that the, the Passover weekend when Jesus was to be crucified, this is what is recorded about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. On his way in, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, what's hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept at the brokenness of this world. Jesus wept at the very people he came to save. The vast majority of them rejected him. It says this in John, he records this, in, about Jesus coming into the world that did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his very own people, the people of God, with the covenants and the promises and the word of God pointing to the Messiah. They didn't recognize him. They did not receive him. But it goes on to say, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Many people missed Jesus, and it broke his heart. But some didn't. Many people are still missing the Savior today. But some, some believe in his name and receive him. And you know, our, our hope here at the firehouse, just as we close, is we want to make sure everyone knows the good news about Jesus coming into this broken world dying on the cross for our sins and rising again to give us proof and confidence about it all. And it's promised that he's coming back for those who've made him Lord of their lives. And, and that's our heart. And the thing here I just want you to, to catch is to, just to make sure that it's not, a, it's not an intellectual thing. You know, some people could acknowledge the facts about history and, and Jesus. For me, I knew all the facts, but for many years I missed the facts point to a person. And the Bible says if you invite that person into your life, if you, uh, Romans 10, 9 just says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And we want to take the message to people. Many people know the facts about Jesus, and, but they've yet to receive the person of, of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we hope that if you're with us, if, if you're new or visiting, uh, or if you've been with us for a while, that you don't just know the facts. Uh, that you not only that you believe in the facts about Jesus, but you also receive him. The scriptures, they point to a person. And Jesus said to the many at the time, you refuse to come to me to have life. And so I'm just going to close in prayer here. And we'll just bow our heads and we'll, we'll call it a morning. But, you know, if, if you're someone who goes, you know what, I do know the facts. Maybe like my story where I knew a lot of the facts, but I had never opened my life to Jesus. Um, you might think about praying a simple prayer this morning or when you go home. I remember I heard a pastor lead a prayer like this, and, and I didn't pray the prayer at church. I went home, and I just broke down, 
and then I invited Christ into my life. But you might pray something like, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I've earned your punishment, your eternal punishment. But I believe you sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross for my sins. And today I receive him into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And please help me to follow him the rest of my life in Jesus' name. And that's something that you can pray, or even if you prayed it now, um, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. He wants fellowship, relationship with you. And if you pray that, you can know that he's coming into your life. If you pray that when you get home or whenever, he wants a relationship. He wants you to invite him into your heart and your life as Lord and Savior. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and close in a prayer for us all. We'll call it a morning here.